You can make a strong case that Batman is the most famous Western fictional character of all time. He's also pretty clearly the coolest. On today's episode, I'm joined by Corey Massimino. Corey is the Students for Liberty Academics Coordinator and a fellow at the Center for a Stateless Society. But what matters most for our purposes here is that he's thought a lot about Batman and has a ton of interesting things to say about him. Is Batman a superhero? Yeah, I, I, I tend to think so. I mean, you can probably come up with some narrow definition where, you know, he's really ruled out. But I don't know. It seems more. It seems like a more productive def- definition is going to include him. It's going to include other people with like no superpowers, um, uh, like the Question or Green Arrow, or you know. So, what side of the debate did you take anyway? I guess I'm on the I'm on the no. Although it depends, and this this is something that's probably worth talking about. Is like Batman is an incredibly flexible character who has taken many quite different forms over the years. So the answer to this would seem to depend on which particular form of Batman you're talking about. But it seems for a lot of them, it's not just a matter of, yeah, he doesn't have any superpowers, although he seems to be, you know, well beyond human normal compared to yeah. us ordinary folks. Mm-hmm. But but setting aside that level of unrealism, um, he the at least the kinds of batman that i like he seems to be more of a office rocker detective in a funny costume than someone who plays to the traditional what we think of as like kind of superhero tropes and and he doesn't really have he doesn't really have super villains so much as he has you know again crazy villains who do lots of violence but aren't really interested in the same sorts of things that super villains are. And so I I think that I guess my stance would be in a lot of his incarnations, the only thing that would seem to give him superhero category would be the fact that he appears in comic books and that he wears a cape and mask. But if you if you told the same stories without the cape and mask and outside of the comic panel, I don't think it would immediately occur to us that this was a superhero story we were reading. Yeah, I think I think that's a really good point. I, I was going to say I think his I mean I, I agree he has he doesn't have a lot of the um the tropes that we 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 would identify with the superhero archetype. Um I mean I think that's one reason like a lot of people are attracted to him. I think that's one reason he's appealed to me. Like he is kind of a different animal than um Superman and Spider Man and and uh you know in that He's not, um, uh, he's not extroverted, right? He's not very outgoing and he's not interacting with the public and, and like being like this public icon, um, or public image, but, but, um, but I don't know, there's still some, and I, I agree, like most of his stories read more like detective stories, um, things like that. Uh, but you also have stuff like, you know, like in the fifties and sixties, his stories were like more sci-fi and fantasy and magic um, and so that might get him folded into the category. And then also, um, he, uh, uh, his, his, right. I was saying his, his aesthetic, I think, I think that's like a part, I mean, that's, that's like a major, you know, part of his character that, that, that you see right up front that, that is a big part in forming like his public image. So, um, I don't know. I, I really, I, I definitely see both sides, um, it seems like maybe there's a useful superhero de- definition of superhero for different contexts or something, but 
And what do you think explains, I mean, he's probably the, you know, the most popular superhero of all time. Um, I mean, Superman, Superman is potentially slightly better known or more iconic as like, you know, qua superhero, but he certainly isn't as widely consumed in media formats as Batman is. Like, what do you think explains the lasting appeal and, and, you know, as close to kind of universal appeal as we can get with such things of this character? Yeah. Um, yeah, it seems to me he's 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 at least in the top three most popular, along with Superman and Spider Man. Mm-hmm. I feel like I've I've heard somewhere Spider Man. If you if you try to, um, you know, add up um, like gross sales or profits on on related uh, material and literature and media for the character Spider Man, I think might come out on top, um, even though he's been around for less time. But um, but I think there's a there's something that Batman and Spider Man both have that makes them. Because Superman, yeah, you have less movies and less shows. I mean, it seems like every few years there's a new Batman show, or cartoon, or Gotham, or or a branch off like the new Batwoman show. Um, and I don't know. I think I think it's really just that he's so accessible to the average person. Um, you know, he's not like it's kind of kind of uh, played out at this point that Superman is. You know, I mean, he's more of this godlike being. He's kind of hard to relate to, right? So, like, it makes the stories just. I don't think there are bad, like, I don't think there are no good stories of Superman, but um, it's harder to write a good story with that kind of character. Whereas Batman with, with his kind of tragic past and, and his, his, his flaws and, and tragedies. In essence, he's a lot more like a Marvel superhero than most of DC superheroes um, in that he's not this godlike kind of perfect creature, but he's really flawed and has, has, has shit going on. And, and, um, and I think that makes him and a lot of the Marvel. And I think that's why the MCU is kind of one reason why that's done so well, because their characters just are the source material really lends itself to these kind of human stories. Is he I mean, is he kind of that down to earth or because, I mean, this is this is Bruce Wayne, the billionaire playboy <laughs> who I, I remember there was some celebrity gossip website years and years ago that I'm sure doesn't exist anymore. And I remember seeing some story on it because I think at that point, like Tom Brady had just divorced his first wife or something. And the the person writing the story said, you know, so now Tom Brady's available and I have compiled a list of everyone who has more to offer a woman than Tom Brady. And the list was just Bruce Wayne. <laughs> um, and, and there is something like he's impossibly good looking, impossibly rich, you know, the, the peak physical specimen um, has a super cool job. Yeah, I and, no. and yet we kind of like we can relate to him. Yeah, I mean, I, I, those are those are valid points. I think though, um, you know, that we can say similar things about the Marvel characters, right? Like Tony Stark is a billionaire genius. Yeah. You know, Captain America is this you know war veteran who is a man out of time. You know, Thor is like a literal god, is literally a god, but. But this, but the commonality with all their stories, like despite these physical qualities um, or or talents um, that are inherent to them or that they acquire, or whatever it may be, um, they're uh, they're not as important as um, you know the mental aspect of the stories. And I think that's where they really they really become accessible through their personalities and through their quirks and flaws and stuff like that. You know, I mean, yeah, he's. Bruce Wayne's really good looking and he has a lot of money, but, you know, he also, you know, struggles with, you know, depending on the version he, you know, he has, 
various kind of mental issues, maybe something wrong with his personality, depression, or, you know, trauma, PTSD in some iterations, I think, that really to portray it, his problem like that. You know, so those, and I think in those are the ways that, that regular people then try to kind of get at the character. And, and while he obviously is fantastic and unrealistic and ridiculous, really, in uh, all sorts of ways, that's like the way you get in there to make him interesting. And is he, I, I think I, I remember seeing something recently about there's like a, a political appropriateness of the character as it, in regards to, he's basically a, he's a billionaire who spends his evening beating up the working class. Huh. Like, is there, what's the political read on this guy? And I know this again, like given the malleability of the character, it's been, it's been all over the place, but what's the, what's the political take on it as he's a vigilante. He is the, he is the rich guy. The crooks are all, you know, usually the poor, but at the same time, he seems to be the protector of Gotham in a way that, that carries not just from the upper echelons that he runs in his you know alter ego but but kind of a deeply caring for everyone at every street level of this city yeah it's um i think it's a really interesting question that that kind of take like you described like he's you know this millionaire who instead of like trying to use his money to address like structural issues and and you know our incarceration system or our policing system or our economic system you know, he instead just, you know, buys a nice suit and a fancy car and, and like you said, beats up uh, people at night. Um, I think it's I think it's a really uh, I think he's probably the most politically interesting superhero. I don't think it's as straightforward as that take is. Um, but I think there's 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 um, there's insight in it. Um, and. And there's really just a lot of places you can go, like you said, he's so malleable, so you have everything from you know, the Adam West Batman who is just, you know, I mean, he's a total bootlicker, right? He just loves the police and and he's always telling you to, you know, I mean, he was like a really the most, uh, in most of it, compared to most of his iterations, an ally of the police there, there's no like conflict at all. And, and, um, and, you know, he's really serving the role of, you know, telling kids what to do and cross, you know, look four ways, four cross street. And uh, you have all the way that to, I feel like the other side is more the Frank Miller, dark, gritty, you know, disturbed Batman, who's obviously very different than Adam West, but also has, you know, there's certainly fascistic tendencies in Frank Miller's iteration of Batman. He like mocks the idea that criminals have rights and, um, and is obviously particularly brutal in his, uh, in his actions. Um, and uh, you also have Nolan who, his is particularly like neoconservative. I think that no, he's the only one who's really taken Batman and turned him into a specifically neoconservative figure. I mean, the, a lot of times people only point out the dark Knight rises for its politics, but the whole series is really laden with it. The first movie is, I mean, you know, the villains are, is this Eastern uh, terrorist organization out to destroy Western civilization, uh, Rome, London, and now Gotham, the analog to New York city. Um, and then the second movie, you have all the surveillance state commentary and, and, um, and it's, it's, it's maybe the moral is more complex than, than it reads on the surface, but, um, but it's still there. And then the last movie obviously is just this whole French revolution analog and Batman is, 
you know, completely on the side of the cops. And there's really no criticism given to that system that really makes sense. I don't know. I, I think the movie's kind of jumbled, so it's hard to read a specific message out of it. But, I mean, we can... This this all goes back to the origin of Batman anyway, because he was... Superman was that this new breed of hero, you know, inspired by 20th century literature, where he was kind of this underdog, this, this uh, you know, he was, he was a product of the Great Depression. And But when Bill Finger and Bob Kane made Batman, they were drawing more on the older... 19th century aristocratic hero, you know, like the Scarlet Pimpernel. And, you know, so the French Revolution stuff has kind of actually weirdly been there from the beginning um, with his um, with his influences. And um, at the same time, I think there are countercurrents to these um, more authoritarian trends in the character, because, um, you know, at the same time, like you said, he he seems to have this 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 um, almost uh, overabundance of empathy for the Gothamites and the people suffering under crime lords and, and, and uh, murderers and, and, and like he did and, uh, and corrupt police and, and, and many versions of him. This is, this is obviously very central The Adam West version is like that. The, my favorite version of Batman, the animated series, Batman, the, that one um, emphasizes more than all the other iterations, how he's ultimately kind of a kid at heart and there, are, and he's always a friend children specifically. He seems to always be looking out for young people specifically. There's numerous episodes where um, that comes up and that, and that's the, the, the plot of the episode um, where he's helping, you know, kids on the street or, or, or orphans like him. Um, and so, so there, there are countercurrents, um, I think. And then even in the Frank Miller one, I think it's really interesting because sorry if I'm going a little too long winded on this, it's just such a dense topic, the politics of this character, but, um, sure. Yeah, no, go ahead. The, but the last thing I'll say is, um, you know, if you look at Miller's dark Knight returns, I think really it's, uh, to really understand it. And I don't know if he was like conscious of kind of, of this kind of influence in the story, but Batman's simultaneously, you know, he's mocking this idea that villains have rights and he's kind of, you know, he's certainly not a fan of civil rights, and, um, but then at the end, he's portrayed as this kind of avatar of individualism against Superman's, you know, collectivist statism, you know, and putting aside whether that's like fair to the Superman character, the Superman fans, you know, will have a problem there. But, but just, but just about the Batman side, he, he, he's turned into this, to this like awesome figure against collectivism, who's like standing up for his own rights, right. And against, um, the government that, uh, 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 you know, is like forcing him uh, to to stop his activities, and I think the reason that you get these kind of two strands in the Dark Knight Returns is because it's fundamentally, I think, a romantic work. And if you look at rom- the the tradition of romanticism, it you can find how it spawned both a kind of individualism that we see, I think, manifested most in someone like Ayn Rand. And, but but romanticism also you know obviously spurred uh, uh, fascism, and and the fascistic impulses influenced uh, the fascist movements, and so it has these kind of twin you know uh, uh, offspring, and and they're both and it seems weird at first like why would how could the same kind of outlook lead to both fascism and individualism right aren't these kind of almost polar opposites um, in their social theory but. I think it's because, you know, to me, I look at like, like I said, I think Rand is a good archetype for 
this kind of pure romantic individualism um, more than most thinkers you'll find. And um, whether you like her or dislike her, regardless, that's just, I think, how I would describe her views. Um, and, and, you know, she talks about how, you know, she has a lot of really um, kind of inspiring uh, fiction about how, um, you know, and lines suggesting like, you know, the world is yours, you know, you can shape it, you can, you know, do whatever you want, you know, the sky's the limit, you know, that kind of, that kind of ethos. And you can see how that lead can almost lead to a, t- the, the same totalistic impulse of fascism. Um, the world is yours. You know, you can, you can find similar stuff in, in Mussolini and, uh, you know, the mold, the world to your, to your liking. And, and, and that's, I mean, if anything is the root of fascism, but at the same time, it, it colors Rand's individualism because I don't know. I mean, there's the, with the individualism, the idea is that, you know, the world is yours for the making, but only, you know, you have to stop at the line of the other person next to you. Who's also in the same position as you, as you, the world is theirs for the making. Like there's not supposed to be, you know, um, a hierarchy of one person over the other where you can boss them around fascism doesn't have that kind of that kind of insight at all it really rejects that but but nonetheless i just i think short long story short the the romantic tradition kind of has two offshoots and and you see those currents in pop culture competing and i think a work like the dark knight returns really uh illustrates how they're both kind of present there even if it's strangely paradoxical can we maybe compare a bit then the i guess both the political and kind of worldview take of so you've discussed it with Batman, but we we mentioned Superman and mentioned like there is the the very authoritarian fascist, you know, the United States government is always right view of Superman that comes through in in Dark Knight, in Miller, but but that Superman fans aren't necessarily the biggest fans of that. And I, I confess to I've never I've never quite got the appeal of Superman. He's, he's never worked for me. And like the, the only exception to that, that I can think of the only time I read a Superman story and said, and like really thought it worked was Grant Morrison's all-star Superman. Yeah. Yeah. That's probably uh, what I would have mentioned too. I think that's- where, where I still didn't, I, it didn't turn me into a Superman fan, but it kind of made me, it made clear to me why it is that so many people like the character. Uh, but, but the difference then in in kind of their political and worldview makeup, um, and it's you know because these these are two characters who come into conflict constantly. It's like it's like a running theme, um, and are presumably both on the same side, but don't seem to be quite. Um, so how does how does Superman compare to the politics and? worldview and romanticism that you just set out for Batman? Um, I think, I think Superman's a really interesting case as well. Um, I mean, he's one of my favorite superheroes um, other than Batman for sure. I've always really liked him and particularly because, and in the context of being Batman's foil um, as he's, as they've really become, they've come to embody these archetypes that are um, I think kind of embodying two aspects of the human psyche um, or something along those lines. I think, you know, Batman is, again, this kind of trauma-filled, wounded character, and it's more like what we are. Superman is this kind of perfect being who is just, you know, uh, uh, unflinchingly optimistic and and good-hearted, um, and he's what we aspire to be. 
and I, the politics of Superman are, um, I think they're similarly kind of a, similarly kind of a mixed bag uh, with Batman. I mean, because if you look at Superman's inception, he um, he is kind of this. I mean, people would say now he was like he's like a social justice warrior. I really think like that's like people say that unironically about. Um, um, or people criticizing comics for being too political or things like that. And, and, and if they really look back and, and, and look at like the original Superman comics, um, you know, he's, he's beating up gangsters and, and wife beaters and, and he also kills and stuff. I mean, there's at first there was no, um, no reason that he didn't kill. And, and it was more of this eye for an eye kind of mentality, same with Batman. Um, and obviously you have his creators that say stuff like they were kind of inspired um, in part by, you know, um, what was going on that they knew about in Nazi Germany and the oppression in the 30s of the Jews there. And his creators were Jewish, of course, and um, and kind of reappropriating the Superman idea that Nazi Germany upheld that they got from Nietzsche and appropriating that into this, you know, avatar of instead of fascistic values of, you know, American individualistic, uh, you know, uh, uh, egalitarian values. Um, so I think he was really a creature of the depression and, and the new deal um, in a lot of ways. And I think if you look at what his creators thought um, about it, that's, that's, that's where you get with that. But, but again, it's like Batman, he's kind of morphed over the years. I mean, his stories usually aren't as politically charged as Batman just because they're more fantastical and, otherworldly um it's easier to use a political analysis on on the unpowered batman who's obviously a vigilante um like uh, like any vigilante in our world would be whereas superman it's not it's not so clear um and uh i don't know i think there's a lot of really interesting takes on his on him and political wise the frank miller one i think is like i get why fans think it's insulting to the character but but I'm, i'm a fan of superman and i and you know one great thing about comics is the ability to do these Elseworlds tales to, to filter and interpret characters through different lenses and cultural frameworks and political views. And, and so it was nonetheless something interesting, a direction of taking his, you know, his, the, the, the all American boy scout kind of gone wrong. And like the, what's the worst case scenario with that. And you also have Superman red sun, which um, I think is a really good book um, and has really interesting commentary on communism um, you know, Superman in that book is, he's the same person. He's just as good hearted and good natured and optimistic. And he believes the best in people, you know, but he's fighting for a different state and a different set of values associated with that state. Um, and it leads to a really interesting discussion. Um, and the, the, the red sun take on the other heroes are really interesting too, because in that story, have you read that story at all? I haven't. Okay, well, this isn't really a spoiler. It's just their take on Batman, um, who's not too big of a character in the book, but um, but shows up here and there. And he's one of my favorite iterations of Batman. I think they explicitly call him an anarchist. Um, he's not Bruce Wayne. He was a, a kid in Russia in the Soviet Union whose parents were, uh, you know, dissidents and, and I think, um, spreading literature that... Uh, the regime didn't like, and they were killed by the KGB instead of Joe Chill or a nameless uh, uh, mugger. They were killed by the KGB. And so this kid grows up, dons this costume, starts this 
insurgent terrorist network of other people who dress up like Batman and they, you know, sabotage the Soviet Union in various ways and Superman as well because he's aligned with the Soviet Union. So this is really weird, like also alternate alternate Elseworlds take on the characters. Um, and I think that's a really fun examination. Like, like, again, like the great thing about these characters is that there really isn't anything fixed. Um, they're constantly evolving. So the political stuff um, also evolves for the times. And um, yeah, I think that's really what I like about them. That, that unfixedness, I, I had wanted to ask about the ongoing appeal of superheroes. Um, Cause I should say my own, my own comic book reading I, the first comics that I read was because my friend Lowen in middle school told me I should check out this Wolverine guy. And so I grabbed, I think it was his first ongoing series and it was like episode four or issue 44. Um, it was quite a while ago. And I, that was like, that was the first superhero stuff I read and I read it and I enjoyed it. And it's interesting looking back on it now, as far as like how much my tastes have not evolved, uh, in, in the sense that like, I, so I found, I, I found all my old comic books. Um, actually my mom like finally told me to get all the boxes out of her basement and brought them to me. And, and so I was going through them and I found that issue and, and that issue Wolverine at that time was, it was almost like a horror comic. Um, he was just, he was a guy who happened to have knives in his hands and there were no other, there were no other superheroes. He wasn't really wearing a costume. Um, he was just like, and he was fighting weird monsters, like horror stuff in the sewers. I think it was. Um, or maybe it was something un, like under the the ocean, but it was some. It was basically a horror comic with a guy with knives in his hands, and it didn't. In retrospect, it didn't read like kind of traditional, you know, Justice League or Avengers style superhero stuff. And and maybe that's what fixed my tastes. But my comic book reading quickly shifted um, into you know all like. The, the comics I read in high school and a little bit in college, which is when I was mainly reading comics, I most of my interest was like reading DC's Vertigo imprint. So just not not superhero stuff at all. And I read I read Batman during that time, but that was about it. Um, and but I've never I've never been super into superheroes in general. And you talking about like how these characters can kind of be compl- like are, are being constantly reimagined in different forms whether it's in these else worlds one-offs or just you know over the course of a thousand issues they evolve quite a lot depending on the artist and the writer and so on um, and, but one of my one of my frustrations with funny books is has always been that the that superheroes are the thing that everyone wants in them and the best-selling issues every month are always superhero titles it's not you know transmetropolitan um and so maybe these are related ideas but the question of like why why superheroes um why are superheroes so relentlessly popular in this medium um and whether it's something about them about the medium or just like path dependency and then is is their malleability tied up in that? Because they do seem to be more so than like other characters I can think of. They're constantly 
reborn in a way that other ongoing, like Sherlock Holmes, lots of people told Sherlock Holmes story, but Sherlock Holmes is almost always Sherlock Holmes with minor differences, but we know who that character is and like what a Sherlock Holmes story is going to look like. And even James Bond is, you know, another character who's been reborn with multiple actors and multiple medium is still, he has not evolved or changed up nearly as much as Batman or Superman. So what is it about them that it makes them appealing and how does how does that flexibility, does it tie into that, if that's a coherent question? Uh, yeah, I think, um, I definitely think it ties into that. Uh, the, the characters, um, I mean, I think there are a couple factors to this there, I sh- I'm sure there's some path dependency and, 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 you know, ultimately people, you know, you'll get good writers and, and good creators going to the popular best-selling uh, uh, genres. Um, but still the superhero genre, I think, you know, there is some natural attraction to it. And um, that's part of why it translated so well to um, the big screen and has become such popular movies is in part because um, you can, you can form this, uh, this personal connection to a character. And then it's not some, you know, set in stone, limited run canon of that character. And if something happens where you don't like it, then it kind of taints or ruins the character, you know, and this is what a lot of like fandoms and people get annoyed about that love Star Wars that don't like the latest Star Wars movie or Harry Potter that don't like the latest add on that JK Rowling made or whatever. But no one has a monopoly on the characters of Batman, Superman, etc. It's almost it's it's a really weird phenomenon and uh, sociologically, and also if you get into like the philosophy of fiction and fictional characters and how they exist, like ontologically, like how and it's really strange because they exist on some level above normal fictional characters, like you said, like Sherlock Holmes is Sherlock Holmes is pretty identifiable and regular throughout all his incarnations, same with James Bond, but, but it really, the, the, the characters really get stretched in all sorts of directions with comic books and superheroes. And, and, um, I think, I think that ability to, 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 like you said, be reborn and keep coming back. Um, you know, I think some people see that as a turnoff, you know, and see that as a negative and, and a way to avoid growth and avoid conclusions, you know, and, and that's fine if, you know, if you really want, and obviously, you know, a big part of stories is conclusions and like pretty much every story has conclusions, but, but there's also this other stuff, you know, that, that, that doesn't really want to play by those rules. Um, and, and that's fine too. And I think that adds to their appeal and that just kind of infinite malleability and to go on and, and, and no matter when you were born or what culture you're born in, there's probably some way you can get access and get into a superhero character because one of their creators, you know, is kind of speaking to that time or that culture um, or, 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 or certain values that you may have been brought up with and things like that. Um, so, yeah, I think um, it's, it's just really strange, like that, how they exist on this level above other fictional. It's almost like there's this platonic form of a character and, and you can identify it's Batman, even when it's Adam West, even when it's Michael Keaton, even when it's Christian Bale, um, and uh, that's one reason I've always liked him. I think I think it, it makes for some really interesting creative content um, that other characters are kind of restricted when you when you compare. It's interesting you mentioned the that kind of ongoingness of it because another characteristic of my 
comic book reading is I've always thought like Batman in particular works much better in the one-offs than he does in the ongoing series. Like the best, I think by far the best <clears throat> Batman stories are all the, you know, here's, yeah. Yeah. here's four episodes or here's four issues and they're not related to anything else and we're done. And, and the character falls down. I mean, I've read, you know, I read the ongoing like Batman and detective comics and, you know, all the various other versions for, for quite a while. And none of those, there would be occasional like single issues that I thought were quite good, but on the whole, it just never really worked. Um, and is that, is that something unique to that particular character or am I, you know, cause I guess I've um, never, I've never been super into like, I'm going to read, you know, there's 300, there's 300 issues of continuity over multiple authors. Um, it always seemed kind of exhausting to me. Yeah. Uh, I think, um, no, I think you're right that, you know, you look at the the most highly praised Batman stories, uh, Dark Knight Returns, Killing Joke, Long Halloween, pretty much every one you list is going to be a miniseries, a, a standalone graphic novel. Um, and I, I think it, I think, I think, I'm not sure if it's just Batman. I mean, I think a lot of characters probably do better in that format, in that instantiation of the character, because I I just got done saying there's no conclusion to these characters. Maybe that's not totally accurate. There's just a lot of conclusions and none, neither is the real final one. So in the graphic novel format, you can get a, a conclusion of that iteration of that instantiation of the character. Um, and that'll probably lend itself to a better isolated story than, um, than, than comics that come out every month and kind of have to, they probably don't have the freedom and, and artistic flexibility and time that, that is able to go into them than that compared to graphic novels that creators probably work on for a long time and, you know, um, aren't confined to that monthly kind of schedule of selling a book each month. Um, so I think there may be a couple of reasons, but I don't, I don't know if it's inherent to Batman. I mean, maybe, maybe someone has an idea of why that would be, but. I mean, I think for me, it just, it has to do with, uh, for me, the, you know, the best iteration of Batman for me is Batman as detective. Um, and a detective story, like there are, there are detective series, right? There are lots of those with ongoing detectives, but they don't tend to have a ton of continuity. That it's, you know, this, this novel is the detective solving a single case and then it's done. And the next novel is going to be a new case and maybe it mentions some of the same characters, but it's not an ongoing story because like a detective story needs to have an end that ties everything together to be satisfying. And, and that's where I think, I think that that's why for me, the standalones are the best is because the character, the kinds of tropes that I think are the best elements of that character are the ones that lend themselves to a contained story as opposed to, you know, the Avengers or justice league or whatever are, they're superhero stories, but they're also they're also soap operas that go over yeah. many, many years. And Batman has never felt like a character in a soap opera to me, which is also why I just think it I don't know that I've ever come across an instance where it worked in my mind where Batman was with other superheroes. Like I feel like Gotham just exists as Gotham and anything outside of Gotham that encroaches kind of weakens the whole setup. Okay. I think I have a couple thoughts on that. I think one that probably reinforces why you think 
Batman probably is not a superhero because mm-hmm. if you ease, like I thought about mentioning this earlier, but, but we ended up getting to it anyway. Like if you do see him molding well with other superheroes and folding into their stories, um, either in crossovers or team ups or whatever, um, it seems more easy to say, well, he's a superhero. He's like, he's sure. Clearly, yeah. He's kind of on the class of these other characters. He, he goes in, but, but fair enough. If you don't, if those aren't really compelling to you, if like you can't buy that, then, then that seems, that seems like a mark against the superhero classification. Um, but I think also, you know, and, and that makes sense too, with your preference for the detective, uh, version of Batman or the one that, you know, emphasizes that, that aspect heavily. Um, because that's going to be far removed from the more otherworldly fantastical superhero like elements of the character. But at the same time, you know, I would, I would just mention that, you know, to me, the quintessential Batman as detective story is the long Halloween. And that works as a great single contained story, but you also have like the dark Knight returns or the killing joke also always up there with the best Batman stories. And those don't really as much emphasize the detective aspect. There's a lot of other stuff going on in there. Um, Although I, I assume you, maybe you're not a fan of Dark Knight Returns because that tries to fold them in with other superheroes as well. So I like, I enjoy the Dark Knight Returns a fair amount um, in part because I just like, like crushingly grim <laughs> stories and, and it, you know, it ends on a hopeful note, but uh, yeah. you know, I mean, my favorite, I think my favorite author of all time is James Elroy who writes like just crushingly grim <laughs> crime novels uh, so, so it works for me in that regard. Um, I will say I, the art's not my favorite. Um, I much prefer the Sin City Frank Miller. Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, and, and wish that that was the art style of all of his Batman stuff. But, um, yeah, I like, I like that one and I like, but I like partly because it's, there are other superheroes who play into it, but they're all in opposition Right. Like it's just it's like yeah. I, you can almost take it as like Batman beating the crap out of the idea of the superhero. <laughs> That's great. I like uh, that. So. So, yeah, I. I dig that one, um, but but when I have yeah, when I've read him in like when he appears in Justice League or in other things, he just doesn't seem he doesn't seem a good fit um, because he doesn't have you know, he's not this like cosmically powerful guy who can you know shoot lasers or fly or other things um and he's just like the smart one who plans but he always it's not it's not like a peanut butter and chocolate mixing for me. <laughs> um, and i could see it i can see it working if you if you run him in a very superhero-y direction but right. but it seems like a lot of the a lot of the contemporary attempts, and this was certainly the case in the the recent movies, they try to maintain the Batman as gruff, like gritty, hard-boiled detective while also putting him in with Wonder Woman and Superman who are not. And it doesn't the, – the clash, like you'd have to – you'd have to mess with the character or mix up the character a bit for it to not feel as out of place. Yeah, yeah. I think um, – well, I think – mostly for other reasons the the recent uh, iteration of Batman and Justice League is uh, not a fan, but, um, but have you, I'm curious because uh, to me, um, I grew up watching the DC animated universe, you know, yes. so that they have, they go into Justice League and then Justice League Unlimited. 
So have you seen those? Uh, do those also kind of just not not do it for you? And I mean, not I've Batman's seen, not in all of it. So, I mean, I've watched. I don't know that I've seen all of Batman the Animated Series because I was watching it when it was on television. Yeah. Um, I, I keep thinking like I should sit down and just watch the whole thing with my kids. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, but, but I certainly I watched a lot of it and I loved it. Um, I didn't. I didn't watch much of the other the other cartoons in that universe. So there was like there was the Superman standalone, right? Yep. Um and then and then the Justice League. I've watched a couple of I I recently like in the last couple of years watched a handful of episodes of I think Justice League Unlimited it must have been because it showed up on one of the streaming services. And it was entertaining but it still it still felt like to me like there was a disconnect. Like this guy and maybe it's personality thing too for him like he's not a team player. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And and so he always felt like he was kind of hanging out with the rest of them, but didn't quite fit in, which isn't necessarily bad, right? Like that can be part of the dynamic. But um, but I enjoyed those. I do think, though. I mean, you're. I know you're a huge fan of Batman the Animated Series, and I do think it is it is amazing. Um, in part because it's just like that to me is what Gotham City is supposed to look like. Yeah. Um, like yeah. it's just it's the it's the quintessential look of Bat- of Gotham City, and that's that's part of the reason too why I've never. Um, I'm not a huge fan of live action superhero movies. Yeah, uh, Batman tends to work better than others, I think, but but they always come off to me as sl- it's just a little bit like watching people cosplay, mm-hmm. uh, and and I think part of it is that the the worlds that these people live in, and this is particularly true for Batman, like Gotham city should not look like downtown Chicago. Right. It should look like the Gotham city of the animated series with these like impossibly tall buildings that all seem to curve in over you. And it's always night. And you have this strange, like almost steampunky art deco to everything. Like it's not, it's not supposed to be a real place. And when you move it into a real place, then the characters suddenly look often kind of looks somewhat silly. Yeah. I think, I think, uh, uh, that's, that's, that's a fair perspective. I definitely, I got into the character through the animated series. Like it's, uh, everything about the character, the, the look of Gotham city, the look of Batman, look of villains, the music that's like all ingrained into me is like that. Those versions are like the best. And um, and I really think that applies to the whole DC anime universe. The Superman show they did, the Justice League show. I'm a big fan of all of them. I think they rolled. I think they folded in their version of Batman in a in an effective way. He was an outsider. He the he wasn't even in every episode. He was often just on doing his own thing. Gotham, and he would come in every once in a while, and that made sense to me because he shouldn't be a team player. Like that doesn't that doesn't really work with the character to me. But um, but on the on the movies, I think. Um, I mean, I love a lot of live action superhero movies. I think they, I think they tend to work a little better when they're really, really stylized. I really like, you know, the Burton movies and um, the original Superman movie. Um, you know, I mean, Metropolis is kind of an analog for New York, but you also have that Krypton stuff. You have Superman himself. You have Luthor. It's all very comic booky. Um, but then at the same time, the animated. I mean, to me, two of the best superhero movies are Spider Verse, which recently came out, and Mask mm-hmm. of the Phantasm. And, you know, those are both heavily, heavily stylized. I mean, you couldn't do anything remotely like they do in live action. They're just so far removed. And, and I, I think I agree with you. They, a lot of these characters do lend themselves better to, to that, to that uh, format. 
Um, yeah, I I wrote a essay years ago about comparing the look of the DC universe movies, and I think this was probably just after. Oh yeah, yeah. Maybe I'll it was just after that. Justice League came out. Um, it comparing them to the Marvel movies, which the Marvel movies, I mean, are I think unquestionably better movies in you know almost every way. Like they're better written, they're better acted. Um, they they just work better as stories and so on. But I find myself like I don't know I don't know that there's any Marvel movies that I would say I've seen them. I think I've seen them all. Um, I don't know that there's any that I would say like I really want to watch that one again. Um, like that I would you know if it was on TV I would. I would sit through the whole thing, even though I enjoyed them all as I was watching them. Sure. But, but the DC movies that like the Zack Snyder movies in particular, I mean, um, I would watch again, even though they're, you know, in many ways, absolutely terrible. But, but I think that part of it is that they better get like the Marvel movies that, and the argument I made in the essay was the Marvel movies are taking superheroes off the comic book page and putting them in the real world. And so they're shot to look like the real world with dudes in costumes running around. Whereas what I think Zack Snyder did and why he was, you know, he did a similar thing with his Watchmen movie um, is, is he tried to bring the, the comic book panel and the style of the comic book panel to life in in live action. And while I still think that works better in animation, and I wish we had more feature length, you know, like yeah, I wish that that instead of the Marvel cinematic universe, we had a Marvel animated universe. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But but what he was doing, his his movies are far more visually interesting. And I think that a huge appeal for me of comic books, and this goes to this goes to Batman, but it also goes to the Vertigo titles that I read and the artists that I happen to like is, is the aesthetics of them. Um, and those, those came, those come through better. That aesthetics comes through a lot better. Like the individual shots, you look at like screen grabs from, you know, justice league, um, or Batman versus Superman. And they're gorgeous in a way that like screen grabs, I don't know that there's many screen grabs from the Marvel movies where you'd be like that they would appear on that. What's that, that one perfect shot Twitter account, um, that would appear in that same in that same way. Yeah, I I really agree with with all that. I think I remember reading that essay when you wrote it, and I I found myself in total agreement. I think, I mean, for a long time, I really really wanted to like Batman versus Superman. It I've never been more pumped or hyped for a movie ever. I mean, it's really my two favorite fictional characters, and I like got into them through the animated series mashup three-part episode where they meet and um but 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 i but i really dislike batman versus superman and those others but you're totally right i mean the mcu movies i i really like them and i love the franchise as a whole i think it's more than the sum of its parts um uh and it has good writing and, and good acting and good plots but yes visually um they're not as interesting as um snyder's and i think you know snyder i mean he like storyboards his movies extensively before shooting them it's almost like he's drawing a comic book before he shoots them and it seems like the warner brothers really let him be kind of an auteur with his movies um at least up until justice league obviously when they replaced him with whedon but man of steel and bvs um are both you know very much snyder movies and and they're i don't even 
it's not just, I, I think I would say, even though I really dislike them, I, I'll say even another thing in favor of them, which maybe adds to your point of uh, adding to their rewatchability. I think they at least try. I don't really think they succeed in execution, but they try to be deeper and more philosophically interesting than um, other super movies. I think Snyder, I don't know. I think he's really trying and he has a lot of cool ideas in theory um, that just don't get executed well uh, and, and, and end up with a bad script and characters that their motivations don't make much sense that you can follow. And, you know, um, like if you look at man of steel, there's a whole weird allegory for Plato in there. You can even see in one of the scenes, Clark is reading the Republic. Uh, and like, you don't really see that in other super movies. I, I kind of appreciate the ambition, especially as a, you know, a, a philosophy student, um, to try to, to, to integrate that stuff into the character and into the stories. Um, and in BVS, I, even as someone who dislikes the movie, I do not at all agree with people who make fun of the Martha moment. I actually found the Martha moment like really good. I guess that's like some weird, um, controversial opinion, but, um, to me, it worked on a character level. It, it woke Batman up out of his PTSD induced rage and stupor and confusion and, um, humanized Superman to him as another person with a mom, just like him in that moment. And it was like a really interesting idea and play on the characters. And it was just surrounded by stuff that didn't really work. Um, so there's I, there's ideas peppered that I really like in those movies. But overall, I don't like that product. Yeah, it's frustrating because it makes me very. I mean, it makes me wish that. And I, I don't think this will happen because, you you know, when you have as winning a formula as the Marvel Cinematic Universe has been, you don't mess with it. But it makes me wish that Marvel would turn its movies over to directors who were more auteurs, who had more of, you know, their own clear style. Um, and, and there are some, I mean, some of these, the, the directors who've done Marvel movies are decent, but they, they end up when they're given a Marvel movie, they end up doing it in the Marvel house style. Certainly. Which certainly. You know, has, has the, you know, the movies look, like they all have the same cinematographer and editor. Um, they all, all the movies sound like they were written by Joss Whedon or at least yeah. the, the writing room from Buffy, yeah. which is fine uh. and it's worked, but it ends up, it ends up making the movies all feel like episodes of an ongoing TV show as opposed to, you know, as we talked about like comic books where different authors and artists bring their own style and sensibilities to it. Exactly. No, exactly. I hope, my hope is that Marvel can say, okay, now, now that we've done this and we've made, you know, like an unbelievable amount of money, we're going to turn these characters over to people who are going to run with them in, in different directions. And, and what we're going to do is bring at least a level of quality control that was maybe missing from the DC movies. Yeah, I think, uh, the MCU, um, there's a very interesting um, film writer, uh, Matt Zoller, Stites, uh, if you're familiar with him or if your audience is familiar, look him up if not. Um, he's written a lot of, on everything. I think uh, he just reviews film and TV in general. But um, he, he, has, he, uh, he has an essay where he talks about how the lines between television and movies are increasingly blurred um, with today's uh, uh, media. Um, way more so than ever in the past. And I think that kind of adds to this, because like you said, the MCU is more like a television series with two hour long episodes. And 
So that's why there's some appeal to obviously their more sh- almost factory um, factory line approach with getting the movies out and not spending that much time on sound design or sets or, or, or practical effects and just doing it all with CGI and the post-production. And, and, you know, I mean, you can see kind of them doing that all throughout the movies, not that they're like horribly made or anything, but um, you can see, obviously there are less, less projects of, of, uh, and less represent like a vision of a creative director. Um, and, and I think that's good and bad. I don't know. Again, like I said, I really like the MCU and think it's the, more than some of its parts. I enjoy that it's like this episodic thing. And I appreciate that for what it is. And I also really like, I mean, DC is, in my opinion, has been really stepping it up because they're making, for the most part, read now, standalone movies where the directors seem to have a lot of say and, and unique vision in the movie. Wonder Woman um, was good. Shazam, which I thought I would really hate, was actually really joyful and fun. I haven't seen that one yet. Um, yeah, it was like it could have been like a Steven Spielberg superhero movie. I mean, it wasn't like, you know, genius, but it was it was a good, well-made movie. It wasn't like Man of Steel or BBS. And then Aquaman, which gets a lot of hate for like hammy writing and like weird music video scenes. But um, but again, it was like really fun and different. It wasn't like, you know, just another product. Um, and uh, I, I've enjoyed those movies. And then Joker and Birds of Prey. I haven't seen either of them, sadly. I haven't either, no. Yeah, I, yeah. so I can't really comment on, on those. But, but it seems like, obviously, they gave the creators a lot of, a lot of room to, to, to execute their vision in those as well. So. Yeah, it's a very, I mean, it's a very different style of, and it makes sense that one's coming from Disney, because it seems, yeah. it seems like more of the, the Disney style at this point is a lot of control. Um, and unfortunately, I think that's, you know, we're going to see like the other franchise I love is Star Wars. And I think we're going to see a similar sort of thing to the Marvel where you're going to end up, you know, even even like there were the rumors that uh, the show, the uh, producer for all the Marvel movies is going to take over the Star Wars franchise um, oh. that will see a similar level of call it quality control there. Um, but I, I've always enjoyed the auteur thing and also i mean it's interesting because we talk about like there's the the failure of the dc cinematic universe that these movies have i mean they've made it they've made a ton of money right like all of these even the ones that everyone thinks were terrible made a huge amount of money but but they certainly have not been critical darlings in the way that the marvel movies which i think again are are very good but they're um like their their Rotten Tomato scores or Metacritic scores, I think, are quite a bit higher than they they ought to be. Um, but but that we we compare these and we say they're failures, but we miss out that DC DC has a cinematic universe that's been going for years. Um, it's just they put out direct to streaming or video animated films that are often really good and and as you mentioned like with mask of the phantasm um are frequently among the best superhero movies you can find i mean they did they did a animated version of dark knight returns that is i mean it's not it's not the the original comic book but if you like judge it on its own it's a fantastic batman movie yeah as someone who the dark knight return the dark knight returns is um my favorite comic book and the movie is I think just as good. It's two parts, uh, which yes. was smartly done to split it up. 
Um, and it's, it's really well done. And to turn it like to turn something, uh, I mean, I think like translating the comic medium to the, to movies, to it's, it's not particularly easy. There's not a one-to-one kind of relationship. Um, you know, certainly you can look at like Alan Moore for that kind of perspective that you just can't do it at all. But, um, but I think there is some level where you can do that. And those animated movies, a number of them have been really good. I love those dark Knight returns movies. Those like blew me away with how good they were. Um, and under the red hood is really good. Um, everyone, um, I think points to that one as well. Um, and then recently they made, um, Gotham by gaslight, uh, an adaptation of, an Elseworlds story where Batman and Catwoman exist in 19th century England and have to take down Jack the Ripper. And it's a mystery about who Jack the Ripper is really, really good too. Yeah. I, I, it's weird how DC has always been kicking ass when it comes to animated things. They Batman animated series, all Superman, all those shows. Um, and there's a bunch of others in the two thousands in the last 10 years, which are good. The Harley Quinn show that's on right now is really good. Um, on their streaming service. But Marvel has always kind of not, their shows were never as good. They had some good shows like Spider-Man, but for some reason, DC just seems to be more focused on animated stuff where Marvel's less. Yeah. I mean, and it, it's frustrating because I would love to see, I would love to see some of these DC animated movies on the big screen, um, particularly given how artistically interesting they are. Yeah, seeing those, yeah. on a, you know, on a 40 foot screen would be pretty cool. Definitely. I mean, you said you didn't really, you know, you don't care for the art in Dark Knight Returns. I'm I'm the total opposite, really. I really have always kind of adored the art in that book. I find it just kind of almost bizarre and expressionist and and, and just fun to look at. And um, and I thought they if the anim- like an animated movie is still is confined by other things. And I don't like it as much as the book, but it's really as good as it could be, I think. Translating that's cool. That makes me then just ask, who's your favorite comic book artist? Um, I don't know. That's, um, I mean, you have like, the obvious greats like, you know, Jack Kirby. And I really like um, over over Christmas, my 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 mom-in-law got me a, uh, a trade, a collection of the first, I don't know, 20 or 30 Doctor Strange stories. Um, and those, the art in those, uh, blew me away. Steve Ditko, it's, it's like a Picasso influenced. I mean, it's totally psychedelic and, and abstract. I mean, Dr. Strange is going into these parallel dimensions and the images are otherworldly. It's some of the coolest comic book art, um, I've seen. I think my favorites, um, probably as far as cause, cause part of answering this question, I think is, you have to decouple the artist from, you know, like this sounds odd, but from like what they were drawing. Um, right. So you could, you could say like this artist, this artist illustrated this particular story really well, but that's not quite the same thing as saying like the artist's style in and of itself. Okay. Um, and, and I think if I answer the artist's style in and of itself, for me, it's either um, Jay Lee, who, uh, he did he did some like he did a very weird fantastic four story maybe 20 years ago that i think was written by grant grant morrison called fantastic four one two three four but it's like it's just very like impressionistic odd and somewhat off-putting art um and then the other one whose art i love and everything and he did a he did a great take on batman um is eduardo riso 
who's most famous for 100 Bullets from from Vertigo and works with uh, Brian Azzarello okay. quite a bit, who has a just very, you know, I mean, 100 Bullets is a crime story and his, his Eduardo Riso's style is just very like, did you ever see the TV show, The Shield? Um, I've, I haven't really, I've seen clips, but I definitely have not okay. watched The Shield. It's like, it's like The Shield in comic book form. Like okay. it's just, it's like, I know it's like a, level I know crime it's like a pretty art. top drama, right? Yeah, yeah, but so I think those two are probably my favorite well, artist. What, as did, far what as Batman did he do? The the, the latter. The they did. Uh, he and um, Brian Azzarello did uh, maybe three to five issue like little arc on. Oh, okay. I, I can't remember if it was Detective Comics or the main Batman one, um, but it was, and it was very much like Batman as detective, um, but. So I don't, he hasn't done much Batman, but it just, it, to me, it just like worked as far as if you like, if, if Batman is a semi crazy guy in a funny outfit acting as a detective among, you know, the, the underclass and the like, you know, down on the gritty streets of Gotham, it just, it just worked yeah. for that. Um, I'll, you know, comparing that to like, I think in my mind, the, the worst Batman artist who lots of people like is is Jim Lee. Uh, yeah, I, I remember reading. Is it Hush that he did? Yeah, he did Hush that he wrote with Jeff Loeb. Yep. Who you know? I mean, I think I think the Jeff Loeb, like you mentioned, Long Halloween, and then yep. their Dark Victory yeah. follow up. Like, like that was with Tim Sale, and that's you know Tim Sale is like an unbelievable Batman. Yeah, artist. I was just going to mention uh, he's one of my other. The gothicness of his Batman is just insane. It's really. Good. Yeah, yeah, like that. It's just it fits it, yeah. like the tone yeah. of the art. Um, but then Jeff Loeb's Hush, I think, it was with Jim Lee, and Jim Lee just doesn't is just like the absolute wrong person to draw <laughs> Batman. Uh, I don't, yeah, I don't understand I, his it is, at all. It's a lot more. It's much less uh, fantastical and gothic, and um, I don't hate it, but um, it's not as as fun as others. And and while he doesn't. Uh, I mean, I guess he's done comics here and there, but I've always really liked um, Bruce Timm's uh, mm-hmm. uh, drawing style, um, you know, p- probably because I just started with the animated series and those cartoons. But but to me, that that's that visual, um, that visual style, his visual toolkit. Um, I like his designs of all the DC characters, and it's very much uh, influenced by uh, the Max Fleischer Superman cartoons of the uh, 40s, which they're um they're amazing uh i watched those again recently a couple of years ago and um they actually hold up as really really fun just little shorts um you know they're obviously like very simple little stories but um uh they're amazing um although the latter half of the series there's only like 18 episodes and some of the ones in the latter half were very unfortunately uh subverted and appropriated for world war ii anti-japanese propaganda it's fairly unbearable, but you can like put it on mute and appreciate the drawings of Superman. So, but, yeah, uh, yeah. But those uh, those two kind of art styles are really like very kind of expressionistic and minimalist. You know the the animated series. I mean, a lot of the screen is just kind of got blacks and 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 sometimes reds, just covering the whole screen, and and you can't really make out anything but shadows. Uh, that style is really great to me. Who's the I'm blanking on his name? The artist who did um, Scott Snyder's Greg Capullo. Greg Capullo. He's yeah. another one. I, I think his art is fantastic. 
Um, although he has this weird thing where he draws squiggles across the bridge of people's noses <laughs> that like every person's nose has a squiggle across it. And I don't understand why. Um, I mean, the other, the other artist, I think if you're going to, you know, classic Batman stories is, um, is Dave McKean and the Arkham Asylum. Yeah. That's with that's very, Morris, very trippy. Just, you know, very trippy. Yes. Cranking the trippiness. Um, but I don't know, but you're right. Like, I mean, the character, the character works in all of these. You can have these people with wildly different styles and the character adapts to them. Uh, yeah. And the story adapts to them in, in really interesting ways. Um, maybe we've talked about movies. Um, maybe close with, if we're looking back, Batman's been in a lot of movies. Um, and and let's let's set aside the animated ones for now. Uh, who do you think played him best? Um, ah, that's tough. I mean, my go-to answer, you know, is just Kevin Conroy as the voice actor. But setting setting aside the animated stuff, um, I don't know. I really uh, similar to the animated series. I was like brought up watching, you know, the Tim Burton Batman movies on VHS and really growing up with them and loving them. And I still really love them. They're like really corny and silly um, at some points, but they're also just incredibly dark and introspective and stylistic. But I also like the, um, the Nolan movies, the first, the first two um, you said earlier, Gotham shouldn't look like the Chicago, uh, Chicago downtown. And, and yeah, I see the point in that. And one reason comics do appeal to me is because of the, the stylistic capabilities um, and, and, but at the same time, I still kind of appreciate and enjoy Christopher Nolan trying to have this just unbelievably grounded take on the character. Um, and I enjoy Christian Bale in those movies. All the acting, you know, Michael Caine, Heath Ledger, obviously, um, Liam Neeson, the first one. The acting is good. Uh, his action scenes are really lousy, but the Tim Burton action scenes were all really corny, too. Uh, so... Um, it's, it's also funny because even though I don't like BVS uh, as a movie, Ben Affleck, I think, was really good just as that character. It's hard to tell because the movie around him I didn't like. But but I would have liked to have seen him in his own solo movie. Um, that would have been interesting to compare. But honestly, I can't decide. Maybe Michael Keaton a little bit more just because I really like his kind of... Because he has this weird take on the character. He's like deft and 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 alienated. And he's not the playboy center of the party you know, that normally we associate with the character. He's, he's, you know, he retreats into the shadows, um, even when he's dressed as Bruce Wayne. And I kind of like that aspect of those movies. So I don't know. Yeah. I think my answer, um, I would probably pick Ben Affleck. Yeah. Uh, and, and partly because again, I mean, just given how much aesthetics matters to me, he looks the most like Bruce Wayne of, I think any of the people who've played him. Yeah. Like he's got, he's got the chin and and I also I like the bat suit. I I think the most. I agree. Uh, and and so yes, I would have loved to see him in in that solo spinoff and and that movie. I mean, it's not just disappointing that he's not going to play the character, um, but it's disappointing that he's not going to write and direct it. Yeah. Because for like, if if I think of the other movies that Ben Affleck has done. Like, this is a guy who cut his teeth doing, like, the kinds of crime movies that I would love to see Batman do. Right. Um, and so, so 
just the notion of Ben Affleck writing and directing a Batman movie that he stars in seems like we've just like we missed something particularly really special. Yeah, I really um, I'm glad you mentioned his suit um, because I I think that might be my favorite live action Batman suit. Um, Snyder uh, was obviously, you know, he was in part adapting the Dark Knight Returns, but also like aesthetically influenced by it. And it's the closest to that suit, which is probably my favorite bat suit. You know, the other bat suits were always all black. And I don't know why they thought that it had to be 100% black to work on the big screen, but his suits are obviously never all black in the comics. They're, you know, they have this gray and then the black bat and the cape, cape and cowl. And that's how they finally did it in BBS. And that was actually really fun. Um, and and I'm still pretty optimistic for um, uh, the the upcoming movie. Um, the it seemed I, I'm so annoyed because um, the 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 certainly not the worst thing to come out of recent events, but the movie was delayed. So instead of yes. coming out on June 25th, which is the day before my birthday, it's coming <laughs> out in October. And now I can't see a Batman movie on my birthday, which would have been really fun. Right. But and that's um, another actor who has the right chin for it. Yeah. I'm, I'm intrigued by the, by Pattinson. And also I, I have been intrigued by, they, they released the image a while ago of the suit and the, the Batmobile. And it seems like, I don't know. They're going for this more. It's a little grounded. The suit, the the car looked almost like a muscle car, like the car of the '70s Batman with um, Denny O'Neill, and 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 that's and that's fun to see. It's different from what we've seen so far. It's not like the giant tank that we've had for like 15 years, which I wasn't the biggest fan of. Um, it's also worth mentioning. I mean, long before my time, but Adam West, um, I've I've loved going back and watching like that show and that movie I had on VHS growing up, it's like such a different animal than the dr- really serious dramatic stuff we've had the last 20 or 30 years. Um, but it has such an important place, obviously in Batman lore and history and, um, and the work he's done for the character since then too. I mean, my favorite episode, I think of the animated series is, uh, but where the gray ghost where they get Adam West to come back and voice the gray ghost, this, uh, uh, television hero that Bruce idolizes as a kid and then gets to work alongside with as an adult in a real crime. And it's just the most, it's just the most fun, um, uh, uh, joyful episode, I think. Um, and Adam West coming back for that is just perfect. If you enjoyed this conversation or any of the conversations I've had on this podcast and want to hear more from me, take a moment to sign up for my very infrequent newsletter where I talk about what I'm working on, reading, and thinking about. You can find it at AaronRossPowell.com or follow the link in the show notes.